<laughs> Whatever you do, don't hit the red button. Well, I thought I'm supposed to hit the red button. Well, I mean, you can hit the red button if you really want to go, you know, in like a like a car upside down through a tunnel. But just fasten your seatbelt, please. Yeah. We're going to listen to some Elvis. It's going to be great. <laughs> I should put some Elvis music right here. In fact, computer, play Elvis. There we go. <laughs> Who doesn't That's love better. Elvis? Who doesn't love some good old Elvis here at the beginning of this show? Anyway, I'm glad that it, the computer didn't ask me to specify, which is great. So now, anyway. Yeah, nor normally that computer's pretty picky. But today, I think it's in a good mood, so... Anyways, hope you guys are enjoying the tunes, hope you guys are enjoying the show, hope you guys are enjoying life, despite being stuck inside, you know, your your quarters right now. Uh, us here at the station, uh, for those of you that might not have heard my captain's log or seen my captain's log recently, I was uh, I was stuck. There was some, um, some propulsion issues and some environmental issues that kind of went haywire, and uh, anyways, after being stranded in what appeared to be like a twin city of sorts of Stardust City. I'm, I'm finally back at Lone Star Station, and it's so good to be home with all of you. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I've been stuck in my quarters. I haven't left since Thursday, since Tuesday. Dude, I said it was okay yeah, well, for you to go up to operations. You can go there. <laughs> no, I'm just stuck in my quarters, self-quarantined, you know. Odo closed the promenade. And then I asked Commander Lisa to, you know, make sure that there's security placed all throughout the habitat ring. And, um, so far, so good, from what I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange time, you know. Um, hopefully my replicator keeps up and all my supplies will last. You know, I know where all the replicated Totino's pizzas are going, and I know it's in your quarters, so... <laughs> Well, you can only eat so much pizza, right? <laughs> Why don't you, like, replicate some pudding? We know you love pudding. I do love me some pudding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief. Well, no, I'm, try I'm, try I'm trying to lose weight. I'm not trying to put on the quarantine 15. <laughs> That's a nice rhyme. Quarantine 15. <laughs> We have COVID-19, you know, like quarantine 15, the freshman 15. Well, you know, no, it was like the freshman 15, yeah. right? The quarantine 15. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. This is fantastic. Well, anyway, anyways, guys, welcome back to another episode of Engage. You know the drill. We watch Picard. You watch it as well. And then we talk about it for friggin' ever. This week, we are going to be talking about Star Trek Picard, Episode 9, with a super fancy Latin title, Et Arcadia in Ego, Part 1. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time listening, um, hopefully you've watched it, because spoilers are certainly going to abound in this discussion. If not, if you're just one of those people that like listening to spoiler shows and then watching it, then okay. We'll try and find like a, a ship's counselor or, or something to, to get you connected with, so the station counselor, and uh, kind of help you, because that's just kind of weird. Yeah, I don't want any spoilers. I want to know nothing. You spoiler people, like, freak me out. Yeah. There are some people out there that will go to the Wikipedia page to read the plot of, like, what happens before they go see the movie. I don't get that. I don't get it either, right? How? I mean, I just want to be surprised and enjoy the ride. And I feel like if I know what's going to happen ahead of time, I'm not going to enjoy it. 
True story. Well, you know, this this week we certainly have some very interesting stuff. We always have interesting stuff for the most part with with these episodes, but this is like really interesting stuff as we kind of you know take a deep dive even more into Star Trek history and lore specifically with this episode and and we'll we'll certainly get to that here in just a little while once uh once that happens. I mean it kind of happens at the beginning too with what happens on the ship but um here's the thing. There's no real flashback in this episode. There is no flashback, right? I've been pretty good, I feel like about figuring out what the flashbacks are going to be. Yeah. And last week I said I have no idea what the flashback could be for next week. And I guess the writers felt the same way. They didn't know what it was going to be. You know, Commander Eric, I think you're holding out on us. I think you're the the angry Mr. Flibble on, like, Reddit or something that is getting all, like, the script leaks and the plot leaks, and you're just holding out on us. I think that's really you. (laughs) Well, I don't know what Mr. Fibble or Fibble means, but um, I guarantee you I have no advanced knowledge of anything that's going to happen. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I just did an over-exaggerated wink at, at Commander Eric, Yeah, he so. just he just winked at me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, no flashback in this, um, so we don't even have to spend 16 minutes talking about a flashback. We can actually get right into it. So just by virtue of that, this episode might actually end at an hour. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah, who knows, right? Who knows? So... <clears throat> this this particular episode we we pick up you know back back in the action of of the La Serena crew you know going through the the transwarp uh, conduit corridor thing and now here they are they're about to arrive and we have good old um, Agnes Girati hiding under her desk doing a tornado drill while this is going on <laughs> make it stop make it stop make it stop please make it stop please make it stop Go away, go. She's, I think she's saying go away, go away, or something like that. Anyways, yeah, it was it was slightly humorous. I'm like, oh, Agnes, really? Oh, Agnes, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, twenty five light years in fifteen minutes. I mean, I don't know if that sounds fast or not. I feel like we can travel faster than that in board transwarp conduits, but you know, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, that really doesn't seem like that much, and I probably should have rewatched or at least looked up some more stuff from Endgame, the the Voyager series finale, because I mean they were still stuck in the the Delta Quadrant trying to get back to the Alpha Quadrant to meet up with the fleet, and I mean that's real. I mean they had only tr- done like. What seven, six, seven years of of traveling the Delta Quadrant? Yeah, but they found a lot of ways yeah, to like cut time off their journey. Right. I mean, there was like one instance. I think they cut off like what uh, ten thousand light years or something. So there were yeah. there were a, a couple thousand here and there that got cut off. But still, like in the grand scheme of things, they had a lot of of territory to, to uh, traverse. And right, and it didn't seem like they were in the transwarp hub or conduit for that long at the very end. Right, it just seemed like a couple minutes and shazam, there you are back in the Alpha Quadrant. So, uh, I don't I don't want to 
get all bent out of shape about it, but yeah, like 25 light years, I'm like, that sounds like a warp one kind of thing to me. Yeah, but you know, let's not dwell on that, right? I think but there I are want other things to, to focus on. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we, we end up and all of a sudden we end up in this, this little uh, system where Soji miraculously remembers that this is her homeworld and knows the the name of it and she calls it Capelius. Okay. So so let's talk about the name Capelius, Capelius, whatever however you want to yeah, pronounce it. Yeah. Go for it. Um so names in this series have have been important. True story. Right? And we've spent a lot of time talking about names. So do you know what Capelius means? Did you look this up at all? I did not look this one up. I looked up some other stuff though. Capelius. So the only thing I could find for Capellius is it's a character from the a German short story called The Sandman. Okay. Right? So, like, the idea of The Sandman, like, you know, like, the Metallica song as well, right? Yeah. You know, this Sandman who, like, sprinkles sand in children's eyes and... Eye boogers. And suppose, right, and supposedly, originally, The Sandman was, like, a figure for good it wasn't like like an evil figure like he sprinkled joy but eventually somehow that got twisted as everything gets twisted right yes and so there there's this this german short story called the sandman where it's told in a series of letters from this child and um there's this uh this kid who his father gets a visitor and the, the visitor is a lawyer named Capelius and um, apparently this lawyer like kills the child's father and then like like bashes out his eyes and then somehow this becomes like a traumatic event for this child and then he meets him later in life as he's posing as somebody else. But I have no idea if this is related to to this name Capelius here or not. But this was the only thing I could find for as Capelius. So gruesome murder and torture. And yeah, trauma. as this as this Sandman character. Interesting. And even in the the title at Arcadian Ego, I mean that's talking about death in the title Correct. so I don't think that the the name of the planet and the name of the episode are are removed I don't think it's too far of a, of a stretch to say that those those names were chosen specifically for some narrative that I'm hoping will be wrapped up in next week's episode with the season finale yeah so I don't think it's I don't think it's a mistake either if if somebody out there knows something else about Capelius then I would be glad to hear it. But this was the only thing that I could find. Yeah. Yeah. So, here we are, and Soji's, like, stupid happy. Like, I'm home and and stuff. And then we find out that uh, Austin Powers, in his pimp-mobile, has been trailing him somehow, and now they're doing some flippy-doos in space, and... Picard's like, let's save the guy. It doesn't matter if he's our enemy, let's save him. And then we start seeing these space flowers, these space orchid things that start to, you know, show up. And then, boom, we get a giant functioning Borg cube. So now we have, like, 
I don't want to say an armada, but we have like multiple factions just all showing up right here in orbit of this planet, and something's about to go down. Right. Much better space battle here than the previous space battle we got at the end of Absolute Candor, which I think both you and I criticized as very poorly done. Right? It was like the actors were like jumping back and forth in their seats, 60s style, like the set wasn't built on like a spring gimbal system. But I feel like here, much better, much, much, much better done fight scene all around. Yeah, for sure. For right, sure. And it's just surprising how bad that first one was. And I feel like there's a striking difference here. Yeah, they did a, a very good job. And I didn't know like what was going to happen like with these orchids. When I, when I was first watching it, I'm like, huh, that's kind of weird. You're just kind of, you know, enveloping these ships. Yeah, you're just, yeah, just kind of engulfing them. And it took, like, three of them to bring down the board cube. Yeah. Right? In, a, like, a very uncontrolled descent. Yeah. Yeah, and when we're, when we're talking about the descent, uh, it, we're, we're on the La Serena, and then Picard's just sitting there. And he starts saying, thank you for coming thank you for being here and then he kind of just passes out did yeah you, yeah did did you yeah did you think that like one of the ai took control of him that's exactly what i was going to ask if there's like some kind of possession or, or something that took place with picard because that's how it came off yeah. to me that's how it came off to me too like i think that that is not an unrealistic thing to think is happening because we've seen that idea in star trek and other science fiction before this you know Multiple possession times. Multiple, multiple times. times right definitely but it turns out it was just part of the the long forgotten brain or abnormality that he has which i almost completely forgot about because i didn't feel like it it really meant anything to this story yeah i'm just i'd like to to see and hear more about if they they've been very uh, intentional about not calling this aromatic syndrome. Yeah. Like, like, if you notice, if you, like, watch, like, the early episodes of this, especially the second episode, when the doctor from the, the Stargazer is um, at the campfire with him, he doesn't even say what it is. He just says there's a brain abnormality. So we don't know if it really is aromatic syndrome or not. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but... The aromatic syndrome happens in the the one possible future in all good things. Yeah. And then when we get back to the present at the at in that episode, Picard has Crusher Dr. Crusher look at his brain and she doesn't confirm that he's going to get it. She says like there's a possibility based on your brain scan. Yeah. So yeah. him having aromatic syndrome is not necessarily a foregone conclusion. Right, yeah, and, and Crusher, to your point, says that uh, that there's there's a chance, and it looks like this, but it doesn't mean that it could be this. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it, we'll we'll certainly see how that all plays out. Uh, but you know, the fact that Agnes, uh, after the credits roll, uh, she's got her 
like there's a shutter that was open. She's like, I didn't even know there were windows on this thing. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Okay. I don't know. And uh, she pulls out an old tricorder, which didn't look like an old tricorder to me. And, no, it, it didn't. And she finds this brain abnormality. And how can I? I, I know that the tech in the twenty third and fourth centuries are far more advanced than what we have here in the twentieth and twenty first centuries. But it was my impression, Eric, that when that kind of stuff happens, you can't just tricorder it and know what's going on. Like, that kind of stuff I thought had to have, like, more advanced tech, like, in a sickbay kind of thing. Like, that's how the, the, yeah. the aromatic syndrome was was discovered, right, in, in Next Gen. Yeah, I kind of felt that same thing, too, that, like... Picard, when we er, when he talks to Doctor Benny in episode two, he got like a specialized, you know, physical. Somehow it wasn't just hey, scam me with the tricorder, but that this particular brain or abnormality was something that might be very hard to detect, and you would need specialized equipment to find it. Yeah. Yeah. But. Okay, I don't want to get go too fast. Is there anything that you want to talk about in this part, like with sick bay or anything like that? No, I think we're good. Okay, I don't I don't know why this next part it it didn't piss me off, and but it just kind of like was kind of like eh for me for some reason. It was when Picard was like, "I have this terminal disease. I haven't thought too much about it." And uh, if anyone treats me differently, it's really going to piss me off or something like that. However, he said that. And right. I don't know why. It, 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 I mean, it, it could just be me, Eric, and that's okay. But there was just something about him just saying, this is really going to piss me off, that did not come across very Picard-like to me. It just didn't seem like something he would say with something irritating him like that. Unless it's aromatic syndrome or the brain tumor or whatever that's making him say that. I don't know but just rub me the wrong way for some reason I can certainly see your point there definitely that Picard wouldn't say this is going to piss me off he would say it in a slightly more diplomatic and uh, manner but yeah I, I can understand that it didn't really that scene and that statement didn't really strike any thoughts within me though I could see Again, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper or anything, but like having us having known Picard for as long as we have, you could still say this would really piss me off by saying something along the lines of, I will be severely perturbed with you. That is more Picard. <laughs> yeah, that sounds more Picard, right? It definitely does. So anyways, I don't want to get hung up on that line or anything, but uh, but yeah, who knew? There's shutters on a spaceship. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? Right? Why the heck not? Yeah, why not? Okay, so we are talking. We're talking through the situation. The whole the whole ship is shut down. We know that there's a colony one way, and there's a board cube the other way. And we're gonna go try and return to the synth colony. But before that, 
we have to head out to check on the down board queue because we have friends there and we want to see what happened to them. Yeah, we want to see if Hugh's okay. We want to see if uh, Elnor's okay. And we wander over there, don't yeah, we? Yeah, and, and, and so, so I actually kind of like this scene right here where they're departing and, and walking on this trek because one of the things that I really liked about, about all Star Trek is you get this real sense of camaraderie between your main cast and your crew. You really feel like they're a crew and they really have strong affections towards each other, especially the Next Generation crew. Yeah. But I've never really felt like this crew, with air quotes, like was all that close to each other. I know last week there's a point where Dr. Gerardi comes out and she says, I'm finally a part of a crew and I had to go and screw it all up and I'm really sorry. But I didn't feel like they were a crew. And it's at this moment where they're leaving the La Serena here and they're talking and and Rafi says, hey, we might run into some homicidal fungus or some asshole ex-boyfriends, right? And hey, maybe we should split up. One of us go this way, one of us goes this way. And so she's like, no, I think we should all stay together. And so I really felt like maybe this was the moment where we're going to have a crew, an actual crew. And I like that. I don't know if it struck you that way or not. It, it did, actually. That, like, hey, we're finally going to go do an away mission. Like, I mean, we did an away mission with Stardust City, but, like, this seems like this feels more Trek in nature. It does. This, this episode definitely felt like a classic Star Trek episode in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, and I like the fact that they, I think they were talking about like splitting up and then they decided we're all going to stick together. And that's when they decided, okay, let's go check out the board cube and, you know, see what's going on. And again, we get to the board cube and like that random dude, like, Lacutus? You didn't get the memo! <laughs> but yeah, like, Lacutus? And then, yeah, like. That... And Picard even jumps when he hears it. Yeah. Like, oh. Okay. Yes, writers, we know that he used to be a Borg. We... Yeah. We you know. You need to keep reminding us. We know that. We, we got this, yo. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Borg cubes are enormous. Okay? Enormous. I wouldn't even like, say enormous, Eric. I w I'm going to do you one better. They're gymungus. They are gymungus. And this thing is crashed. Okay? So first of all, as big as they are, who knows how controlled its landing was? But we're talking like a meteor crashing into the surface of a planet. Yeah. Like... I'm not going to quite say extinction level event because we don't know how controlled its cra its crash was, but it's very unrealistic that you would just be able to walk up to this thing basically perfectly intact. Okay, like this is just a small little scientific gripe here. But hold on, you know, not to, to poke holes in what you're saying because I get it, but you got to remember that even with... The La Serena, and I understand that the La Serena is tiny. It's an ant compared to the cube, right? That 
this orchid thing envelops it and whatever technology and stuff that it has was able to protect the structure of it and it took like what three or four some odd orchids to bring this thing down so lord knows what stuff this orchid is projecting or doing to keep the structure intact yeah but but even when the la serena was coming down through the atmosphere it was like in like a blaze of fire yeah right the, the, the heat coming down in the atmosphere and who knows, like, what was going on with the board cube? Because they looked like the things were, like, biting the corners of it, of the cube. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe we'll get another board queen and she'll, you know, fix it and they'll, you know, fly off to Neverland or something. I don't know. Okay. But, but the point I was trying to make about the board cube being ginormous is there's no power in this, yet they happen to walk right in and boom there's Elnor and seven of nine like basically right there like you could walk around this board cube for like a week and maybe not run into these two people yet they're there for five seconds and they pop right up i know storytelling wise you can't have them walking around for five days before they find anybody but it just was kind of like really really you found them in five seconds yeah Did that bother you at all? It was it was kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of kind of odd. Okay, I mean it just bothered me. Like let's walk around for a little bit more than five seconds. Yeah. Hey, look, it's seven. Hi seven. Oh, I don't believe you're here. And then Eleanor getting to go hug uh Papa Picard and be all happy about it. Yeah, so let's talk about Seven of Nine and Elnor here for a second, okay? Sure. So, Seven of Nine has been poorly misused this entire series. Like, I don't know if, if you agree with that or if any of the listeners agree with that, but unless something dramatic happens with her character in next week's episode, totally a waste, in my opinion. Okay? Yeah. And... Elnor is also, like, a pretty much useless character. Like, unless something dramatic happens next week, like, you could very easily have told this story without both of them, I believe. Without much reworking. Yeah, I'm, I'm still wondering what it is. Like, the only thing I can kind of attempt to explain when it comes to Elnor is this whole, like trying to get Picard to really be a father figure and or just or and, and have like this adoptive son like like we know he disliked kids beginning of next gen and over the course of seven seasons and even the four movies we see growth in him in that in that relational area and we're, we're getting bits and pieces of it from like the book we're getting it from the comics we're getting it from you know, all these flashbacks and now this, but like that's the only thing I can really explain for the purpose of Elnor's to give Picard a son. And I think it could have been done differently than to make him, you know, a Rivendell wood elf, basically. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I guess I can see that point, what you're alluding to. I actually have a thought here. You have okay? a thought? I have a thought. Oh my gosh. Uh, right. Okay. Red alert. Red alert. 
So, Seven of Nine has always been an incredibly popular character, right? Right from the moment she was introduced, all through all four seasons that she was on Voyager. She, I would argue she was maybe the most popular character on Star Trek Voyager. Okay, yeah. Right? Definitely for the writers. She was like this shiny new toy we get to play with. And, you know, that, that Ready Room interview with Jerry Ryan really made me start thinking okay there's that scene in last week's episode where um seven of nine is hooked up to the board cube and she says annika still has more work to do and then she gets disconnected and then then will wheaton asks in the ready room he says can you explain um what that means and Jerry Ryan was like, no, no, I can't say anything. I can't tell you what that means. And so I'm wondering, are they trying to set up some kind of seven alone, seven of nine standalone series where it's about her and Elnor? Because she, Elnor has more interactions, I feel like, is growing closer to seven of nine than she is to Picard. And there's also that thing that Jerry Ryan said in that same interview where she was like, well, Seven of Nine feels like this motherly protection role for Elnor now, especially after she's lost Egypt. And you and I both said like, really? I, I didn't understand that because they had almost no interaction in Stardust City Rag. But to hear her say that and to see the two of them where Picard says, hey, these XBs need your protection more n- now more than I do. And Jerry Ryan's reaction on the interview, I-, I think they're potentially trying to set up some kind of Seven of Nine standalone series with Elnor as one of the characters there. And I'm just curious, what do you think? I've heard that making the rounds, actually, about there being like a Star Trek Fenris Rangers spinoff kind of thing. And okay. I haven't seen any any anything of real substance to really confirm that i mean you, you look at like well I, I haven't seen any news about that this is just sure a thought that's coming to my head would it make sense for for something like that like with how she's talking in the interviews sure sure that would make sense and i can totally see uh, you know where you're going and, and how you arrived at that part and yeah i can i can see that too do i want to see that i don't know if i really want to see that no, uh, but no, but I, 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 w- I would rather see a Fenris Rangers show than a Section 31 show. That's for darn sure. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I said it back in when we did our recap of Stardust City Rag that I think I would have liked to have seen that story with Seven of Nine and Egypt and Bajazel and whatever as like a, like the, as like a Solo-type movie, right? Like the Han Solo movie that they did like standalone thing if they did like just a movie like that two two and a half hour movie with that story with seven of nine each joining the fenris rangers and this bejazel character i would watch the hell out of that that movie right but that's all i need i don't need like an ongoing continuous series sure the only the only rumor i've heard when it comes to movies and again i think it's like this is a rumor just because they're trying to to test the waters with the fans is uh, like combining discovery with the Kelvin timeline and trying to fix timelines. Basically, that's 
But again, that's a rumor at this point, and that has really nothing to do with Picard apart from this current conversation you and I are having. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm willing to bet that something like that will probably start making the rounds even more so in the next, you know, three to six months. And Can I just tell you that I hate that idea? Yeah, I figured. I'm not too fond of it either. <sighs> I just... I just, I think Seven of Nine, unless something dramatic happens here in this next episode, and I feel like, like, it's going to be tough to fix that Borg cube and get it up and fighting again, right? Because it was essentially broken even before this, but maybe it plays some big role in this dramatic space battle that we're potentially going to have next week. Let me... You know, like, you know how I have, like, these thoughts just, just randomly pop up while we're having a conversation, right? Right. So, here's something that just comes to mind. Okay. Stay with me. Audience, stay with me. So, you know, a couple episodes ago, Seven voluntarily becomes the Borg Queen to try and defend the cube. What I'm wondering is we, we've had, like, this, like, kind of, like, B story, maybe even a C story going on with the with the Borg, like, with the, the reclamation site and the XBs and everything going on like that. I'm wondering, Eric, if this is going to be like an evolution for the Borg and there will be like the free Borg collective where Seven will become like the Borg Queen but it'll be like a free this is going to sound kind of weird but like I don't know how else to say it, but like a free hive mind. That's kind of contradictory, I know. But like where they choose to be Borgs to free other Borgs by being Borg again. Did that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm following you. I think I'm following what you're saying. They're like their own mini collective, yeah. but by but by choice. Yes. With Seven of Nine as like the benevolent leader. Yes. Okay. So that is that is similar in in idea to um, a Voyager episode called Collective where there was like a crashed Borg cube um, and some of the survivors were cut off from the Collective but as a way of like regenerating and healing themselves they create their own they purposely create their own little mini Collective and then but then you see like in order to heal Chakotay, they hook him up to their collective, right? But then you see, but then the episode turns and it's like, well, even this little mini collective started to try and assert its own will and said, what we want is what everyone else should have. So that could be an interesting kind of conflict for something like that. Right, and it had to be done in the right way if that was going to happen because you've got 20 some odd years of development for a particular character and we've only seen, you know, four years of it on screen. So yeah. I don't I wouldn't want Seven to revert to being like a mindless drone or an evil queen. The evil queen might happen for for a, a point. I mean like I'm not even Yeah, a, that could be that could be one storyline. Right, where she's like fighting herself in trying to become like this new new evolved queen. I mean, like, I'm not... Okay, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but, like, the only comparison I can really draw with this, with my very limited understanding of Star Wars, is if you look at the old extended universe, which is now called Legends, I'm pretty sure, Luke Skywalker, for crying out loud, 
he went to the dark side and he went to the dark side to become like basically super powerful and any star wars fans including david fogel out there you can totally speak with more authority on this than i do, i can but he went to the dark side so he could learn all aspects of the force but ultimately he chose to come back to the light so luke skywalker could wield both both sets of powers so i could see something similar like that potentially happening with seven's character if in fact that's what they're planning on doing this could just be all pie in the sky nonsense that you and i as uber fans are just dreaming up in our head no, that could be an interesting idea to uh, explore, like, the dark side, right? There's no right. dark side in Star Trek, but yeah, in order to fully understand something, you have to be able to see all sides of it. And I guess that's even what, like, this is not a Star Star Wars podcast, No, but that's almost what Luke Skywalker is saying in the movie The Last Jedi, right? He's saying that to think that we only see one side of it and like star wars fans like yell at me if i'm totally wrong about this like you the jedi only have one narrow-minded view of everything and they think the power belongs to them but in order to to really understand it you have to maybe kind of see all sides of it and possibly let everyone let this power be available to everyone and that's kind of maybe why luke skywalker shuts himself off from the force in the last jedi yeah so, I mean, the more we talk about it, the more I'd kind of like to see it. But again, they'd have to do it in in the right way. Because that's a very, very it would, thin line it, to, to toe and to walk. It would take better writers and better producers than Akiva Goldsman and Alex Kurtzman. Shots fired, everyone. Shots I, fired. I don't think they're up to that level of intricate and tightrope walking of story. I really don't think they are. Okay. Well, we're we're at the board cube for uh, a minute, and uh, let's go backpacking. Let's go check out this colony. Yeah, let's go check out this colony. And to me, this is the part that feels like a classic Star Trek episode in the sense that, okay, here's our away team, and we're we're arriving at a planet, and we're gonna go to this colony, this this town, and we're gonna have some kind of first contact situation not for first contact situation right and um we're gonna walk into this idyllic looking town right every place is almost an idyllic looking town always and then we're gonna have some conflict in this town and then typically in a normal episode we wrap up that conflict at the end typically we do not typically. in this episode though not, not gonna in happen. this episode nope because this is part one yes which means there's going to probably be a part two. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's just how it works usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so when we get to this town, all of these characters, they're all played by identical twins. They are. Right? And we see two of everybody. And so did you get the idea, since, since these, these androids, these synths, we're not calling them androids anymore. I guess we're just calling them synths. Um, they've got like date, not quite data colored skin, right? It's not quite as yellow. It's more of like an orange almost. Yeah, it's a, I don't know. Whatever. It's a golden it's not, something. Yeah. It's a gold. It's not like it. They look different than Soji and Dodge. Yes. And they look different than data. Yes. So did you get the impression that 
these synths we're seeing here are organic synths, like Soji and Dodge, like earlier models, or were they more like, like fully androids like Data? So, this was something that I'm I was wondering, and I don't know where to have this conversation because I have a lot of questions about what's going on in this. So, for the gold skin ones. Because I don't know how else to, to call them that. Like the shiny the shiny synths. How about that? So for the shiny synths, I thought that they were just like straight up androids. Just very advanced androids. And that the the Sojis and the other one that we meet that I guess really not the other one we meet, but just really Soji is like the ultimate. Because they are the organic since so that's that's how I differentiated them and God, I don't know where to ask some of these questions so let's just keep on going and I'll just jump in whenever I think there's a good spot okay all right sure so you don't really have an answer right now for my question about what you think or is or do you think that they are mostly norm like advanced androids I think they're just advanced androids I think the shinies are advanced androids and not okay. organic okay okay that's a fair enough point. And so we walk into this town, and then we have this meeting, and one of them steps forward and says, Soji, you're back. You completed your mission. And then she goes over to Captain Picard. She calls him Captain Picard, right? Yeah. Well, and that makes sense, because if they're all created from Data's neurons, that's the only way Data ever knew him. Yeah. Yeah, do you not think that they're created from Data's neurons? I do not. Okay, all right. That's fair. Um, but then we hear a voice, a familiar voice from the crowd, don't we? We sure do, Eric. We and, sure and, do. And here's the thing. This should have been a big surprise, but it totally wasn't because they gave it away in the opening credits. <laughs> like... They, they, like, okay, so in the pilot episode, episode one, everyone knew that Data was going to be in that pilot episode, yeah. right? We had, we had seen it from all the trailers, right? We knew that Data was going to be there. So in the pilot episode, in the opening credits saying special guest star Brent Spiner was perfectly fine, okay? Then they did this again in, in episode four, Absolute Candor. In the opening credits, it said, special guest star, Jerry Ryan. And so when they rescue the pilot from that ship that came to help them, and they beam her right onto the ship, and it's seven of nine. It was supposed to be a big surprise, but it was spoiled. They spoiled it themselves. See, I didn't have as much of an issue with with the Candor episode as I did with, with this one. And, and this, no. one, it, this one, I was legitimately excited when I saw that. I was like, oh... Oh, and so, but yeah, but I, I didn't have as much of an issue with Jerry's just because like you saw so many friggin' trailers with her, you knew that she was going to be popping up. Yeah, at some point, yeah. So like I'm like each episode, like I'm kind of thinking, okay, when's she going to pop up? Because like not only that, but like it made it seem like she was a main character. So I was just waiting like and waiting and waiting, like okay, when is she going to show up? And oh. then I'm like, oh, okay, no big deal. That, that, okay. that really didn't bother me, but that's... And, no, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. And in the episode Nepenthe, 
the, the all the trailers had shown that Will and Deanna Riker were gonna be in this. Like they had shown those those scenes. We didn't know when they were gonna be here, but we knew they were gonna be here. Yeah. So so when the opening credits there said special guest star Jonathan Frakes, but totally a slap in the face to Marina Sirtis, they didn't say special guest star Marina Sirtis. They had put just put her in the end credits as guest starring. Yeah. That's totally totally disrespectful to her. Like I we all knew that was coming, so I didn't mind that. But to say right here in the opening credits, special guest star Brent Spiner, like, why give away your own spoilers? This should have been a huge shock. But it wasn't. Yeah, they- I don't know, I just, I don't like that. I don't like it. They could have easily just, at the very end, like, you know, episode ends, flash up on the screen, in big, big letters, special guest star Brent Spiner. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that would have been perfectly fine. Or, or again, like I've mentioned before in a past episode of Engage, you know, taking a page right out of the Game of Thrones TV show, like just do a cold opener with with Brett Spiner, and then do it. Yeah, you yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because when he came out, I was like, "Oh my God, Chase's theory was right." Old man Spiner is there. I totally thought this was going to be uh, a data android, an old one, and that you had totally called it. And I was like, good job, Chase. (laughs) So I I have, I I don't know, I'm just going to put this here because I don't know where else to put this because I have, I do have these questions. So let's just, let's just talk about this character and the scene because he pops up, right? So... Brent Spiner is now portraying a character named Alton Inigo Soong, and we're, we're told in in this episode that he is the actual legitimate organic son of Data Data's uh, creator. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I I looked up. The names Alton and Inigo. Okay. Did you look them up, Eric? I did not. I'm glad I looked them up then. Okay. <laughs> Alton, if I'm not mistaken, is Turkish for Red Dawn. Okay. Inigo, I didn't put the origin, but Inigo means fiery or fiery. Yeah. So basically, a fiery Red Dawn. Okay. So, and so what is the significance of that for you? Um, okay. Again, I don't know where else to put this because I know we have a lot more story ahead of us with this. I don't think Alton is actually human. Okay. I think it's lore. Okay. But would lore age? You know, Lore, he was all about partnering with people and doing some pretty odd stuff. That's pretty dastardly stuff? Yes. So I think whether it was something like with the Borg, like we saw in the movie First Contact, where there was like skin that was given to Data, um, or there was some kind of transfer type of thing where we took Lore's 
you know, engrams or whatever, and we created an organic lore that calls himself the actual son. Because that was the thing. If you go back to um, an old episode, was it called um, Brothers, I think, where they're both, like, called to the surface with their dying father? Yeah, but, but yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, except uh, Dr. Noonien Sung only thought he was calling Data because he didn't realize lore was even still activated. Right, and not to make light of this, but there's like some major like daddy issues with lore yes yes there are and he does not feel like a legitimate son so i could see him having like this golem kind of thing like we're going to see later on or there's been something that's been done where he's transferred his own positronic consciousness air quotes right into an organic synth body so I think Alton is actually lore. It's been a, a lore transfer. And I think that the shiny synths that I've been talking about are the children of lore. And just like I think th- like Dodge and Soji are the children of Data, I think uh, Flower and Sutra are the children of lore. That would be an interesting plot twist that I totally didn't even think. I totally just bought this character as the son of 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 Dr. Sung, Nunian Sung, Data's creator. Huh. Because to me, this character just strikes me as being so similar to the one that Brent Spiner played in Enterprise. Yeah. Right? Dr. Eric Sung, mm-hmm. who was Nunian Sung's great-grandfather. Yeah. Great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather? I know he says at the end it might take two generations and so that's why i'm thinking great grandfather yeah but to me this character just struck me as being almost identical to that eric sung character where um eric sung created the augments and his he was a geneticist and he said oh i'm gonna create these augments to um to to better humanity yeah knowing knowing all the while that in order for the augments to take their place humans humans place they would have to destroy humans and he was fully almost conscious of that and i feel like here this character is saying well uh i'm gonna create these androids these synthetics to basically take the humans place and yeah i know making them better will probably lead to the destruction of me but i'm okay with that i feel like these two characters are very similar okay that's fair Mm -hmm. yeah and, and Brent Spiner really knows how to play the eccentric scientist, doesn't he? He sure does. I mean, he's played he plays this character here, Alton Inigo Sung, plays that character, Eric Sung, and in Independence Day, yeah. right? He plays the eccentric scientist. So he's got that, that role down. He yes. knows how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, again, with, with Alton, you know, like, we're... We're early on, and he's, like, saying, basically, Picard, I need to put you under house arrest. And, like, that just, for, for me, it just came off as very lore-like for some reason. And, I mean, lore is very deceptive. He is a very deceptive character. He can play it up like no one's business. And and that's that's why I'm inclined to believe that there is some lore stuff going on and that Alton is actually lore that Sutra and Flower or whatever their names are I can't keep the names straight anymore with all the friggin 
names of, you know, Issa Briones' android characters. But I think that they are lores and that Daj and Soji are datas. But here's the question that I have. And if I'm jumping ahead too much, Eric, Eric just just put the put the reins on me. But what is so dang special about the form uh, that of Issa Briones' form, right? Because, like, we have four of them, basically. We have Daj, Soji, Flower, Sutra. What? Why? Why are there four? And that—that that was the other. Why that, are there? That was the, there's uh, only two of everybody else, but there's four of her. Right. There's there's the organic synth, right? The non shinies of Daj mm. and Soji, but then we got right. the we got the shinies of Flower and Sutra. Or J- Jaina and Sutra. Jana, Jaina, whatever, and Sutra. Jana, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Why there would be four of them, um, and why they wouldn't just make something different maybe they maybe when uh bruce maddox made dodge and soji he he somehow knew picard had the painting and would figure out a way to learn who they are right if he sent right because if they had originally made sutra and jaina in this form and then they had made dodge and soji in some different form would picard have been able to figure out who they were as easily as he was able to. Sure. And maybe yeah. that's the reason. I'm also like kind of thinking back again, like I'm comparing and contrasting the relationship of data and lore with the relationship of these four now, or really these mm-hmm. two, right? So right. like lore, yes, he was created first, but he was shut down. Mm-hmm. And then data was created. Data was considered to be, I guess, more advanced in some ways compared to, to lore. So I think this is like another way of saying like, yes, yes, there's there's four of them. One of each is dead. Now you're your own twins. But now there are obvious differences between the shiny and the not shiny. And I see Sutra being the lore and Soji being the data. So you know that you're, you're related, air quotes, to each other in your form and I think that's that's part of like the hurt you know like yes your your sister both sisters were murdered and, and destroyed so like that right. can bring them together and I think Issa Briones was talking about that in the ready room and yeah you- yeah she, she was saying something like that everyone on the colony though has their double their their twin but Sutra has lost her twin and now she feels different than everyone else and isolated and not as connected to everyone as everyone else is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that sounds like what I remember what Issa Briones was saying. Yeah. So who knows? I could be completely wrong, but I cannot wait to get to the end of this and potentially be right and be able to say, ha, you see? <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting idea. I think I, think I even had the idea that maybe at the beginning after episode one or two that dodge and soji might have been created from lore instead of data okay right like i i've abandoned that idea but i think that idea popped into my head sure way way back when okay there's one more little um android sci-fi question that i'm gonna have or statement i'm gonna have a little later on but let's let's just keep on moving because i think we've been camped out a little long on this one okay um so then I really kind of have a problem with with this next scene or so where um 
Sutra comes in and she says, hey, maybe the admonition, maybe the Romulans didn't understand this admonition and they've been unnecessarily driving themselves crazy for a thousand years, right? Because they can't understand the admonition because it wasn't designed for organic minds. It was designed for synthetic minds. I don't have a problem with that right there. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. I have a problem where she comes in and she says, oh, well, I don't need to go experience the admonition for myself. I can just mind meld with you. <laughs> like, really? Like, like, this is supposed to be something unique to Vulcans, right? And I know Commodore O can mind meld because she's half Vulcan, half Romulan, whatever, right? But the, the, a team full of writers... This was the only way you could figure out to get the information out of Dr. Gerardi. You couldn't figure out some other kind of memory extractor plot idea. You had to mind meld. To me, it just it devalues the Vulcan race here, which is supposed to be one of our core Federation species. And it just really bugged me. Sure. And even if they did something like, uh, oh, gosh... Help me on this one. Uh, Mind's Eye, I think, from Next Gen. I think that's the episode uh, where, like, they... Don't they actually see what, what Jordy's seeing, if I'm remembering it right? I think so, but I think that has something to do with his visor, doesn't it? It might. It might. But, like, I mean, but it's been, like, 20 years of, of like, tech development, so... Yeah, like, they could have something some, like that. Like, couldn't they have some Stargate device, you know, that Stargate device that they can plug into their heads and it, like, projects their yeah. their memories that they've used all through? Like, something like that, rather than a mind meld here, because it just, it just doesn't sit well with me. This is supposed to be something that makes the Vulcans special and unique. Okay, so this is a very minor gripe with this whole thing, but I did kind of roll my eyes a little bit when it came to you know, a, a, a shiny synth doing a, a Vulcan mind meld. Just because you study it, you know, I can I can study math, but it doesn't mean I'm going to understand it and actually be able to do it. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, Eric. <laughs> but like, <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> but, like, there's a part when we're, we're seeing, like, the full movie of, like, what this uh -huh. admonition thing is about. We're getting the full weight. We're getting the whole ton of this thing. And... With that, there's a part... I see what you did there. You see what I heard it. <laughs> I, I know what you did there. <laughs> so many inside things. Anyway, there's a part where there's like this this iRobot character with a big old Starfleet Delta thing on their chest. And I don't know if I'm just not paying attention, but isn't this like an admonition that's been going on for hundreds of thousands of years? Yeah, and then and then we saw it, like it morphs into data again. So, okay. Again, if this has been going on for hundreds of thousands of years, how did the this? How did they know that the Federation was going to be a thing in two th in twenty sixty three or twenty one sixty one or twenty three whatever? Well, well. This leads me to my thought, and I don't know if this is the place to talk about it, but is is this related to control somehow from Discovery? 
I think so. Where they, they sent control into the future, and now somehow control is figuring out a way to send messages back in time. I, th- I really believe that this show is going to link up with control from Discovery. I really do. Yeah. And so could that be the reason why this is encoded into the admonition? It might. It might, yeah. Because, like, yeah, we, we know that the the Discovery crew, they're going 900 years into the future. And that Discovery, or not Discovery, that Control is somewhere there with them. Like, far in the future. So, and we know somehow that Michelle Yeoh's character is going to have to get back to... Um, to the 23rd century for the Section 31 show. So maybe maybe Philippa Georgiou's character, or maybe, Phil, sorry, maybe Philippa Georgiou is going to unintentionally bring Control back to the past. Maybe she'll come back to the past and Control will, you know, jump even further into the past. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but also one thing, and that would tie this whole together, I saw a crazy fan theory that says... In the episode Timeless, which, you know, I love me some episode Timeless. Uh, Pizza is Harry timeless. Ki- yeah, Harry Kim and Chakotay find a, a downed board cube, right? A crashed board cube. And from that board cube, they salvage a piece of equipment that allows them to send a message back in time. Well, here we just saw a downed board cube, right? Could potentially all of this be linking together with, hey, here's this down Borg cube and the Borg have this ability to send information back in time and somebody finds this Borg cube and they harvest it for technology, control somebody else, and is using that to send this message back in time to create this admonition. That's certainly possible. Do I think it'll happen? Probably not. Probably not. Like I said, it was a crazy fan theory that I saw. That'd be very interesting. Yeah, that would require a ton of Trek knowledge. It would. It would require a ton of Trek knowledge. To, for crazy, all... cra- crazy fan theories typically never pan out, but it's something fun to to see true fans go out there and just try and come up with all these weird ideas. Yeah, yeah. Just like my lore is actually Alton Soong, that's that might not pan, pan out. Right. Yeah. It, it's. It would be something that, if you're trying to bring in a new crowd, it would not be the best way to bring in a new crowd, because you might confuse them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, heaven forbid we confuse viewers. Yeah, okay. So, so let's, let's actually get down to what this admonition is saying. What the Romulans thought it was, and what Suter is now saying, okay? Because mm-hmm. I think this is really important. Mm-hmm. So the Romulans came to this planet in this octanary system, Aya, the planet of grief, or was yeah. it the planet of sorrow? I think it was grief. Okay. And here they have this this admonition where they grab a hold of these glowing rails and into their mind comes these images of like a coming AI apocalypse. And they believe that once you cross some threshold, somebody, somebody, something will show up, and that somebody will be Senshineb the Destroyer, and it will destroy all life. And so the Romulans 
created the Jatvash to try and squash all synthetic life, right? And to stop the coming of this destroyer. Right, that's that's what the Romulans believed? Yes. Okay. And so and so now, right, Commodore Commodore O were led to believe saw that firsthand, right? She went through the admonition herself firsthand. And then she mind melded with Dr. Gerardi to pass on that information secondhand. And Dr. Gerardi even says in this episode, I've seen the admonition secondhand. And so now Sutra comes in and mind melds with Gerardi and is now getting the information third hand. Right? Have you ever played the telephone game? Yeah. Didn't you hear that Michael Jackson <laughs> played with an umbrella in Manhattan? Yeah, like you played the umbrella game where you 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 start with a message and then you start to pass it on and the more people you go through, that message changes. Yeah. Okay. So third hand Sutra is seeing this message that it it wasn't designed for organic minds. That's why it was you know driving the Romulans crazy. It was designed for synthetic minds. And the message to the synthetics that they're seeing is humans or organics, not necessarily humans, but organics create synthetic life in their search for perfection or advancement. But then they come to see that synthetic life as a threat to their own. So they start to try and put a squash to that. But you synthetics, if you reach a certain point of evolution, Here's a, here's a way to contact us, a great alliance of synthetic life. We are waiting out there for you somewhere for you to contact us. We will come in and save you. But our way of saving you is to eliminate the threat to you. And so we'll save you, but we'll save you by destroying the organic life, by actually becoming the destroyer that the Romulans thought was going to come. Do I have that correct? I think so. Yeah, it was a little confusing to me. It's like, okay, so you're going to save us by killing us. Well, you're going to save us by killing the organics. Yeah. Right? And so are the Romulans right then? Because, like, who's going to show up is going to be someone that's going to destroy them. Are the Romulans right here? I think so. If they're they're either right or they're partially right, it's that. So the, I gotta admit, Eric, like the the admonition was a little confusing to me with with it. So like I got it, I got it as best I could. But yeah, like I'm not too sure who is right, other than like kind of how the scenes are played later on, like with with Sutra and the rest of the gang there at the colony. Well, well. I, I've kind of got the idea that, um, you know, who's to say Sutra, you know, she's getting this third hand. Who's to say she's interpreting this information correctly? Okay, so that's my first idea. But then, why does, why does somebody have to be right and somebody have to be wrong? I don't feel like it's that cut and dry. I know Star Trek has sometimes tried to posit this world where the Federation is right and everybody else is wrong. Although I 
disagree, I totally disagree with that statement, right? Because we've seen the Federation do a lot of wrong. But we're almost conditioned to believe that the Federation is right all the time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. And so, and so, so I don't necessarily think there's who's right and who's wrong. I think the answer to this is probably going to lie somewhere in the middle. I guess, like, the other thing, too, is if there was this mission, air quotes, of, you know, Dodge and Soji, I guess, going out, doing whatever they were doing, why couldn't, like, Sutra or Jana or whomever from this colony hopped on one of their flower ships and impulse powered their way over to this wishing well where this information is and just go straight to the source it doesn't seem like it well, doesn't because, it doesn't seem like it's that far away well well but they would have to know about it right and the the admonition i would assume is like the Javash were such a closely guarded secret most people didn't even believe they existed and so they were able to keep this this octanary and this planet Aya a secret and no one knew about it. Do you think And so that's... and so I believe that Dodge and Soji's mission, like Dodge was sent to the Daystrom Institute, Soji was sent to the artifact, like two places where they could learn about synthetics, right? And so presumably they would they like the the androids didn't know about the admonition. They didn't know about the Javash, so they couldn't just go there themselves. Unless, and, and we're getting into like, I guess maybe weird territory and, and like theory crafting, but unless Alton knew about it and just chose not to, because he just seems like a, a very secretive character. Yeah, but, but do you understand what I'm saying? I do, how, like, I do. The Javash is such a secret, people don't even believe they exist. I do. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely a telephone game, and anyway, yeah, it will just, yeah, there has been this thing, like you were saying, and I, I agree one hundred percent that Federation good and right always. Everyone else, if you're not with us, you're against us, you know, type of thing, wrong thinking, and there can be a yes and kind of moment with both both sides being right. From a certain point of view, I feel like I'm quoting Star Wars right now. <laughs> Lots of Star Wars talk in this podcast. Well, you know. So, okay. With with this, I feel like we've been kind of jumping around. That's okay. But with um, there's a there's a scene, and I hope I didn't cut you off. Like, if there's other stuff you want to say, there's a scene. Yeah where um, Alton takes Picard into this room and shows him this thing called a golem. No, he takes he takes Gerardi. I'm sorry, Gerardi. Yes, he takes Gerardi into a room and says this is this is a golem. Basically, or she said, "Oh, you create a golem." And have you looked up what a golem is? Well, it's it's supposedly I I like Michael Shabon is our is our um, head writer. He's our showrunner here. 
he he wrote a book. He's most famous for writing a Pulitzer Prize winning book called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. And I've read that. It's on the bookshelf right behind me. Okay. Right there. <laughs> okay. That's bad for podcasting, but it's right. I'm trying to do this backwards. <laughs> it's up on that top shelf. Okay. <laughs> anyway, there's like, 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 you know, he's a Jew, right? Michael Shabon. He's Jewish, right? Yep. And apparently this has something to do with Jewish, Jewish lore, Jewish heritage. And right. I, as not, not being Jewish, I, I've read the book and there's something about a golem in there that I, I read it so long ago. I don't quite remember everything, but it seems like you looked up what a golem is. I did. I Wikipedia'd it. Okay. Because that's what, you know, people do. And um, it's uh, it's an anthropomorphic being that's created from, from clay. And there's a lot, a lot of, of stories and lore that goes along with it. And uh, no pun intended with the lore thing, really. Um, but they're, they were saying that Adam... Like from like the Genesis account was considered to be a, go- a golem or a golem uh, because his his the dust his substance or whatever was was shapeless and it was formed out of like dirt and mud and you know in this I guess like for the sake of the conversation clay or whatever and he was made to be uh, like from inanimate to animate animate so yeah it, it, it's I don't fully understand like the the mystic side of it but it's it's about creating life from lifelessness um right which is which is really what they're getting at in this is like we've created the shell and we've seen we've actually seen it in other other shows too like um what is it um, altered carbon on netflix we see it in ghost in the shell uh like it's i think it's like an anime or something like that and it was a movie recently made uh a live action movie with scarlett johansson a couple years back so we've seen this where we're transferring the consciousness or we're creating a, a, a false thing, if I can say it that way, and we're so and we're, we're adding consciousness to it. Right, we're taking a false body, a, a false body, and we're transferring someone's real consciousness into yeah. this body. And I got that impression that uh, you know Doctor Soong here was was aging and dying, and he was trying to find a way to like prolong his life. So here's the thing that I've been reading on the interweb. And it's dangerous when you read on the interweb. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. But all of it's true, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah. Al Gore invented the internet, of course. So of course it's true. Yeah, it's all true. Yeah. But go ahead. Go ahead. So people are saying... Okay. Pe- these people... Okay. Are saying that the only way Picard is going to get out alive is they're going to transfer his consciousness and we're going to have a robo-Picard, basically. And with having robo-Picard, that's how the tumor is going to go away and all is going to be well and stuff. And I can kind of understand that theory based on the opening credits with, like, all the flaky stuff forming his face. And I don't like it. I will. Yeah, yeah. You can't see this in podcast world, but two thumbs down for me. I don't want. I don't want an Android Picard, even if it is a synthetic, an organic synth Picard. I just don't. I want. Yeah. So you're talking about in the opening credits how like there's those weird flaky pieces that like fly into his head. Yep. And that could be like the creation of a new Picard. 
Yeah, like that's that I don't like that idea at all. Yeah, I'm not down. I would I would like okay, so tell me. Would you be okay seeing you know, who knows how long Star Trek Picard is going to go on for? We know it's going to have season 2, right? We we know that for a fact. Yes. Would we don't know how much further it's going to go beyond that. So far there's been talk like the plan has been pretty consistent since 2018. Uh, early 19 for there to be three seasons. Okay. Would you be okay with Jean-Luc Picard dying at the end of Star Trek Picard? Yes. 100%. Yeah. I, I would be too. I would be perfectly fine with him dying. I think it would have to be done a little bit better than uh, you know Captain Kirk's death in Star Trek Generations. Where instead of him dying on the bridge, the bridge dies on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but okay, but like, but spoilers, you know. But Captain Kirk was already officially dead at that point, so I'm sure he, you know, and he died in a hero's quest to save the people on the Enterprise B and was swept into the Nexus. But everyone thought he died, so I'm sure he had like a huge funeral and a huge hero's death and a huge celebration. So he got his like official death. Yeah. Right, but I would totally be okay with. Jean-Luc Picard dying at the end of this show. We know he's already 90. Yeah. We don't know what the human lifespan is, right, in, you know, the 23rd or 24th century. Yeah. Right? And we know he has this brain or abnormality that could potentially be fatal. So I would be okay if there was some heroic last mission that he went on and, you know, he gave his life at the end of it or, you know, he died in bed somehow right after yep. after finishing this last great mission yep i would really not like it if they transferred his consciousness into a false body and then allowed him to live forever i would not like that no one because that means that it's happened to two of his characters that that patrick stewart's played because they did that at the end of uh what was it x2 or was it x3 for the x-men movies don't, don't ask me. Okay, well, spoilers for anyone that's never seen the X-Men movies. They do that, and it's and then it's kind of, like, shown even more at the end of, like, a, a, an end credit scene, basically. So, I wouldn't like that. I don't want to see Robo Picard. I'd probably still watch it. I wouldn't like it. But I think if if we have this this shell, right, this this organic something or another... And if we know that there's this neuronic cloning thing, how friggin' cool would it be to have 32 years finally, finally, finally pay off for data? We yeah, that would be perfect. That's we, the way to do it. That is the way to do it right there. And like, if we can you know, bring back the entire, like the entirety or most of or whatever the consciousness of data. And, you know, P Pinocchio has become a real boy. Holy shnikes. Would that yeah. be a powerful payoff for Data's character? Yeah. I mean, you can use Data's neurons to create other personalities. Yeah. Why couldn't you use Data's neurons to create a new Data personality? Right. Right? I mean, it seems like you should be able to do that. And that would be a fantastic payout, right? 30 years in the making, like, from the very first moment we see him. 
not the very first moment, but in the very first episode we see him, he's trying to whistle and he wants to be, we see right at that moment, his desire to be a real live living boy. Yeah. Right? And we even see it in Star Trek First Contact when the Borg put real skin on him and he thinks about it for, I don't know what fraction of a second he thinks about it for. But he's like, for an android, that's an eternity. And yeah. like, this is, we, we've given, DeBoer Queen's like, we've given Data everything he's ever wanted. That would be great payout, I think. Yeah. And and I think that if if Alton Soong is actually Lore, he is going to get really pissed. Because he knows he's dying and he wants to live on forever. That would be a very Lore thing. That would be a very Lore thing. You're right. Yeah. That's way better story than transferring Picard's consciousness into this thing. Yeah, I don't want that. I will I don't want that. I, I, I will probably have a tantrum. The captain's gonna probably have a tantrum if that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're stomp your feet and huff off. I won't take a lightsaber and bash it onto a control station, don't worry about that. Because <laughs> you're not a petulant little child. Hey, that's a fun word. That's the word of the day, guys. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't even know so where we I, are. Someone save I, us. I think I, I think we're I think we're about to wrap this episode up, right? So, um, Sutra, after seeing this vision, she says, "Okay, we we want to contact this great alliance of of androids." But I need a way to convince all of the other androids since in this colony to go along with it. And so my way of doing that is by sacrificing one of our own, making it look like the Romulan organic killed one of our own, and that will galvanize support to my side. Yeah. Okay, and so she goes to Narek, because Narek has been captured as a prisoner. And... um. She basically comes up with this deal, and she lets him go, and I'm assuming it was... Do you think it was Narek that killed the synth, or do you think it was Sutra that killed her? I think it was Sutra that killed her. I do, too. I think it was Sutra that killed her. I mean, because he was in the little force field brig thing, and, I mean, she was coming towards, and there would have to be trust between her and Sutra for anything to happen. And the, and right, and just easy access. Grab the but, gra- grab the but, hummingbird and stab her. But yeah, you you see that like she's stabbed with the hummingbird, and you see that scene where Narek is in his cell and he looks up at the hummingbird, like he's got this idea, like if he can get out of here, that's what he's going to use. And so that's the only reason why I'm debating whether or not Narek killed her or Sutra killed her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is this is the other part that like reinforces my lore theory about Sutra. Because Lore was friggin' homicidal as well. So if there's like any homicidal tendencies or engrams or whatever that got transferred, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that make that you make a good point. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. And then so Sutra then comes and gathers the whole colony in this town and says, Hey, we're going to contact these advanced synthetics. They are going to come, and they are going to wipe out the threat to us, 
and we're going to join them in, you know, Alton soon says, like, a new federation. A new federation of synthetic life. Yeah. And there was there was a little, um, like, with how it was being described and what they were wanting to do, like, seek out this life and excise it, basically, which is like a, a direct a direct contrast to the Federation of seeking out new life and, and having them join us, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so you get a very, like, Star Trek moment here, like, next generation moment, where Picard tries to give a big speech, right? We know Picard loves his speeches. And he gives this speech, basically, that, right, the Federation has let you down, but... I will help you. I will get you off of here. I will be your advocate to Starfleet and the Federation, and they will listen to me now, and we will help you. I know that I failed in the past, but I will help you now. And Alton Singh basically laughs at him and says, No, no, they won't. Are you kidding me? Like, they didn't listen to you after Mars. Why are they going to listen to you now? So what do, what do you think of that moment? Because we've always seen Picard able to rally people to his side with his speeches but we've seen like this whole series we've seen people like rejecting Picard's ideas except for the Rikers right except for the Rikers yeah and and the more I yeah I've seen that and I know what you're talking about and it's it's frustrating seeing it I mean, he's 94 years old as a character in this. He was born in 2305, so it's ni- it's 99 in this show. So he's 94 years old, and and they're they're turning down him like with any idea, even if it's just like a tiny little sliver of hope. They're rejecting it, and I mean, how long ha- have they actually been on on Capelius? right? And and. 14 years? If it has been 14 years, I mean, did Bruce Maddox actually go to this planet right when the the thing happened? I don't know. So I'm just wondering, like, did Bruce Maddox say something disparaging about Picard? Like, don't he, he can't get anything done anymore. The old man's just wrong. Nothing's going to happen. Because, like, how else, if they're cut off from, like, the Federation, the Romulan Star Empire, the Klingon Empire... How does he know this stuff? Unless, again, here we go with my theory crafting, unless he has the memories of Lore and Lore just does not trust Picard. That's interesting. So, so, um, does the, do Bruce Maddox and, and John Luke Picard have any interaction in the Last Best Hope novel? Do those characters interact at all? I'm thinking, hold on a second. Um, no, not really. It's because, mainly it's mainly Jordy, actually. Because because that could be a way of like you just said. Does Bruce Maddox come here and does he put that doubt into into the minds of these synths here? Because he has some some per- firsthand knowledge of how Picard, you know, what he, what he was doing at the time of the the Mars rescue. Or not the Mars rest, but the, the Romulan rescue and creating these synthetics. Yeah, I mean, Picard is is the admiral that's you know doing everything, and they're saying it's going to take about five or six years for the whole 
you know, evacuation thing to really take place and to be successful. But Jordy's Jordy's the one that's mainly talking with Maddox, if I remember this right. It's him, Gerardi, and Maddox over here on one side. And then it's Rafi, the CNC, Picard, all them off to the other with some politicians sprinkled in here and there. But I, I can't remember any direct interactions between Picard and Maddox apart from Measure of a Man. That's okay. it. Okay, all right, all right. That's fair. I was just curious. Yeah. Having not read it yet. So, anyway, we'll see. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. So, um, what happens then? Very la- very, very little bit left. Um, Dr. Gerardi says, Hey, don't lock me up. I'm going to help you. And Dr. Soong is like, well, she's as close to a, vo- a mother as you're ever going to get. And Sutra says, a mother would die for her children. Would you die for us? And Gerardi says, yes, this is this is the culmination of my entire life's work here. And I'm willing to help you. Which I think is partially true. Based yeah, on the book. I- Based on the book. Okay. And like whenever that was said, like, are you willing to die for for your children? I was I was thinking, like, huh, are they gonna like you know, Vulcan mind meld are gonna get her 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 essence and are they gonna transfer it into that little golem thing? Her yeah, that you like you can't take out a human's katra, can you? It, they'd kinda die, they'd wake up dead, that's for dang sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know. I don't know cuz like yeah. there's like just there's just like there's this all of a sudden there's this there's this revile for for humans, for for organics now. Which is making me think again, I know, and if I'm if I'm dead wrong, I guess I'm going to have to apologize to everyone including you, Eric, but like why would they be okay with Alton if he's not an organic synth or a synth himself? I'm going to leave that alone cuz I've been Beating no, that, that you, dead horse to death. You make you make a very good point. You make a very good point, definitely. Right, and I I can't wait for it to be next Thursday, and we can learn the answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, that's kind of it. Um, I have like one little like side theory that kind of came about kind of indirectly in a way uh with this episode and i don't know if i should say it now or after we give like a little number rating what do you think why don't you go for it now i'm curious yeah yeah you are okay mm-hmm. so throughout the show um we've we've met the crew okay we've met rafi Girardi, picard rios right uh, Elnor, Seven, whatever. And we've even met these holographic characters. And here's what I'm wondering. We know there's a medical hologram. We know there's a navigation, a tactical, a hospitality, and I don't know if I'm missing one or not. Engineering. We have an engineering hologram. I'm wondering... One of my favorite characters, 
from Voyager was the emergency command hologram. <laughs> I love that episode. <laughs> There's like two. There's two well, iterations. No, well, the the Tinker Tailor yeah. Doctor Spy. Yeah. I'm wondering if the real Rios is dead and the Rios we're actually seeing is the emergency command hologram. Well, well, but he and Gerardi get it on, don't they? Hey, there's probably some kind of mobile emitter that he's wearing. <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't hey, I, I don't know. <laughs> so be interesting if the whole ship, the whole La Serena crew was just holograms and that Rios is the ECH. <laughs> yeah, well that's that's interesting. I, mi- I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen, but that's fun to think about. Maybe his mobile emitter is like that little like com badge that they have, right? Like that's his own personal emitter to where he's able to like leave the ship and do his thing. And... Anyway. Maybe. I let's that's I like I, I don't think so, but that'd be funny. Next time on Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Which we didn't get in the ready room, which No, we we didn't we didn't get that in the ready room at all. Normally no sneak we get peek. A, a sneak peek. Yeah. All right. So, here we are at the end of the episode. By the way, there was an awkward part in the in the episode, like the whole I love you kind of thing. That was just awkward, so. Yeah, like I I'm done. I'm totally not shipping Soji and Narek. And I don't think we oh. talked about that. No, 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 no. It was the I love you between Rafi and Picard. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that was awkward, too. Yeah. Like, those, like, five minutes, I was like, make it stop. She's like, I love you. Oh, don't worry. You don't have to say it. I don't? Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Please, like, let me get away from here. I love you, Rafi. <laughs> uh, uh, gotta go. <laughs> gotta, yeah, I gotta, gotta leave. Go. <laughs> I gotta go wash my neighbor's cat. Yay! Spot two, right? Spot two. Oh. All right, gang. Well, here we are. It's time for the number rating game. And I like this episode. Uh, I liked it better, I think, than... Was it last week's episode? I think. Yeah, last week's episode. I'm going to probably give this one a solid eight. Okay, so so my my final thoughts. I'll wrap this up here. Okay, so this whole series is revolving around the admonition and your interpretation of the admonition, right? The Romulans interpreted it one way, the the Sutra interpreted it another way, and we've said that. Maybe it's not so clear-cut, this or that, but something in the middle, right? Sure. Okay? And so we've seen Star Trek do this, and this is like classic Star Trek, where you have some race, some being that's, you know, all-powerful or on a higher plane, and they have put humans or or whomever in this position of like this is a test I'm testing you right I mean encounter at Farpoint Q does this right and then in all good things Q does this as well he puts Picard and the Enterprise to this test 
right? And we've seen there are other various other instances of a higher being, you know, placing a test um, for these lower beings, right? Like a test of morality. Yeah. And I think that Star Trek is at its best, I think, when it's questioning morality, right? What is the right thing to do here? And there's this great line at the beginning of the episode where um, Picard says, it's one thing to uh, kill an enemy who's attacking you. It's another thing to just let them die. So we have to save them. And then there's another great line where Soji says, well, when Agnes killed Bruce Maddox, she thought she was doing the right thing. And And she says, and Picard responds, did she think she was doing the right thing or did she think she had no other choice? Yeah. Right? And then she goes, well, I'm, not, I'm having a difficult time understanding the logic of sacrifice. And Picard says, I don't really like the sound of the logic of sacrifice. I think that's another great line from yeah. Picard there. Um, and then he guess says something. I guess it depends upon who's holding the knife. Another good line. Another good line. Yeah. And so I really hope that this show is boiling down to this admonition is a test, a test to see what mora- what like where your morality lies. And I really want us to be able to pass this test. However, however this happens. And I really hope that's what this is coming down to. And I really don't hope. I really wish that we're not going to end this season with some big space battle, right? Maybe there might be some fighting, but I feel like every time we've had a big space battle in Star Trek, it really hasn't ended with someone winning the battle, per se, right? By fighting, okay? The Dominion War was not won on the battlefield. No. The Dominion War was won. Odo convinced the female shapeshifter to stand down. Like, that's really the way the Dominion War ended, in my opinion. Yeah, most of Deep Space Nine, like, because that's where we saw the Dominion War really taking place, was talking on the station. And, like, I can remember, yes, there were space battles, but, like, I can remember, like, the and, fleet... And we, the, ha- and, we, and we have the final epic battle over Cardassia. Yeah. We absolutely have that. Yeah, we have, like, the whole fleet doing their thing. We see the the Defiant, like, zooming in there, doing its thing. But that's, like, for, like, what, three minutes, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Of an entire uh-huh. episode in, like, a, a seven, eight-episode arc, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, like, it's it's not going to come down to who can shoot more phasers and right. photon torpedoes. Right, and we even, even though I, I've chided Discovery, in Discovery Season 1, like, spoilers, right? Okay, this is the war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Even that, the end of that war, does not come down to who wins on the battlefield. Yeah. Right, and the same people who created that story are creating this story. Yeah. So I really hope this doesn't come down to a big fight on the battlefield, because I don't think that's what Star Trek is about. Right? I think both sides here, the Romulans and Sutra and the androids. They're operating from a place of fear, right? They're both afraid, okay? And I really hope that this is leading to us of something like, are we going to, are we going to pass this test 
Our, can both sides overcome our fear somehow and learn to work together? And can we prevent death or are we going to cause suffering? Yeah. And I really think that's what when Star Trek is at its best. And I, and I think that this is setting us up for a good finale here. And I hope it delivers. I'm really looking forward to it. Will Wheaton on the ready room said he saw the episode and he said that it's very satisfying. I know he probably can't say, oh, I, I didn't sucks. like it. I know he can't, probably can't say that, even if he didn't. But, you know, Will Wheaton on the ready room said, hey, I've seen it and it's very satisfying conclusion. And from some from somebody like him to say it was satisfying, I hope it's not satisfying because of a giant space battle. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this, Eric. You're talking about the test. We, mm-hmm. and, and we know that there have been tests especially with the next generation crew and Q. How would you feel? And I don't want to like make this go on and on and on forever because I know we need to wrap this up, but how would you feel if Q showed up at the end and once again said the trial never ends? You want this podcast to go on for another hour? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is not the next generation season eight, right? Okay, like we've been we've been very clear on that from the very beginning, right? The writers have been clear on that. Patrick Stewart was clear on that. Okay, so I think trying to bring in Q and bring in the trial, which I think is like a perfect bookend to the next generation episode one, episode one hundred and seventy-eight, perfect yep. bookend. I think trying to bring that in here would be making basically season eight of the next generation. Okay. And I don't, I don't like that idea. Okay. Right. I think this has to be different and stand on its own. What about any involvement with the Q? I don't like it. I don't want it okay. to happen. Right. I, 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 I wouldn't hate it, but that's not what I want to see happen. Sure. Right. I wouldn't hate it. And I guess the only reason I really asked that is because there's a desire to have like all the main cast back and whether you consider them main cast or not i mean john delancey's q character is he's an he's an iconic character he he was in what 10 episodes maybe at of least, the next generation at like, least I, I but I, I think it's only i don't i think it's like 10 to 15 i don't i really don't think it's that many but still like he was at the he was in the first episode he's in the last episode so right um and he's there at some pretty important moments too. Yes, so right? I could with the bo- uh, with the Borg with tapestry, right? He's important things happen with Q. So I could see him making an appearance at some point, whether it's this season or not. Um, and maybe he's going to be the person that, in kindness for whatever reason, with Q, removes the tumor from his brain. I don't think that's going to happen. But anyways, your your rating. With this okay, episode, so I know I, I this my closing thoughts. I was trying to trying to tell you where my headspace is coming from, and I really do like this episode. This this feels like a classic episode. Um, I understand it's a little slow for some people. I read a lot of IMDb reviews. There's a lot of hate for this episode. I think it's only got like a seven point two rating on IMDb. There's a lot of like one star ratings, which make no sense to me. Those people yeah. are just trolls who can GTFO as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> like 
I, 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 this episode to me didn't really feel like part one of a two-part episode. I think you could have just called this episode Capalius, and then next episode is in at Ar or at in Arcadia Ego, right? It doesn't really feel like a part one of a two-part episode, but whatever. Anyway, I say all that. I'm gonna give it an eight. Hey, right? very, very, very solid episode. Very good episode, and I think definitely has that classic next generation feel to me okay okay i definitely enjoyed this episode i did too i did too so there we have it and guys next week we're at the season finale of picard season one how nuts is this yeah like i mean this is like almost two years in waiting isn't it a year and a half i guess yeah when i mean they announced it in what late 2018 yeah, it was um, August of 2018. Yeah, so a year and a half, right, in the making. We've been waiting to see what's going to happen. And we're almost there. I can feel it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll be watching it uh, next Thursday. You better be sure we're going to be watching it next Thursday. And, yeah, next week will be our, our last Engage episode in earnest with, with like, the regular weekly stuff. And um, Eric and I will take... About a two or three week uh, break off from doing engaged stuff, and uh, what I'd like to do, and um, after we do our retrospective on it, uh, either before or after we do our re retrospective on the entire season, is I want to get uh, some of you as listeners, some of you that are in the group um, on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you follow us, and have you on, get you on like a Skype call or a Zoom call, and just have you kind of have a conversation with one or both of us about your thoughts, what you liked, what you didn't like about the season, what your favorite episode was, stuff like that. So if you're interested, you know, let us know. We might reach out to you. Um, that Eric, sounds like fun. That sounds like a lot of fun Yeah, to, to bring in some other opinions. Yeah. Like just hear, hear what you guys think and, and stuff. Like I know other, other podcasts will do that. Like with the movies and TV shows that they're, they're working from and stuff. So um, I'd like to do that. At least get maybe, you know, three or four of you, if at all possible. More. I mean, I'm always open for more, um, for you know, engaged stuff. So, um, there we have it, guys. We'll we'll see you next week for uh, the season finale of Star Trek Picard. And, uh, anyways, any final final words, Eric? No. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, guys, again, thank you for uh, hanging out with us today as we talk about episode nine of Star Trek Picard. Um, just remember to connect with us on all the socials at TRTV Pod. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Facebook, we do have a page and a group. There's a link to the group on our Facebook page where uh, a lot of shenanigans happen and a lot of fun happens. We're building a community slowly but surely. I think we're close to about 80 some odd members right now in our group. And we'd love to have you uh, live on the station with us and hang out and have a good time with us. Now, if you want to connect apart from social media, you can do that. By opening hailing frequencies, you can send us a note to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode. Now, finally, if you want to send us a letter or something else like that, you can do that by entering in coordinates to the Lone Star Station at P.O. Box 2455. Azel, Texas. That's A-Z-L-E 76098. Guys, thank you once again for uh, hanging out with us and uh, 
and listening to our ramblings. We really appreciate it. And as always, may you boldly go and make it so.